So the first reading is John chapter 10, verses 7 to 13. Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved, will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that they may live and, have an, and live in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. Here ends the reading. The second reading tonight is found on page 1025, Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 13. Then we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there. For these were his, his instructions, since he himself was going by land. When he met us, met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios. The following day we crossed over to Samos, and the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so he would not have time to spend in Asia, because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. And I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in the town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you will ever see my face again everyone I went about preaching the kingdom to. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed to you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. And now... I commit you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. And I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that by labouring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep the minds of the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After this, after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. It'd be great if you can keep that passage open. Um, as we've read it, uh, I don't know uh, how you found it. As I've been reading that this week, <laughs> it's been so hard as a pastor, to hear Paul's words to these elders, these pastors of the Ephesian church, I've honestly just been sitting at my desk feeling like someone had punched me in the guts, just thinking, oh, what do I say? Paul is an amazing pastor. And I, as I read, I just feel so unworthy to be a pastor, really, to be your pastor. I've kind of shuddered to even say that in the light of this guy. Uh, look at verse 24 with me. But I count my life of no value to myself. I'll be honest, I do. <laughs> so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. He just lays himself down completely. His whole life is just given to, to serve these people and the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's really challenging stuff. And do you see how it ended? It kind of ends with everyone just bawling and hugging. I know they're Mediterraneans, but you know they're just bawling and hugging each other. They, they can't leave him. They go all the way to the ship with him. They don't, don't want to leave him to the last moment because he'd been with them for three years. That just made me think I've been here about two and a half years. If I left, would, yeah, would they? <laughs> but honestly, it makes me think, have I really loved people? Have I, have I really kind of given myself to people like Paul did? Now, don't worry, the next 20 minutes is not going to be Dan's personal pity party. Don't worry. There's lots of great stuff in this passage for all of us. And this is the main reason. Here's the main reason. Paul's an amazing pastor, an amazing shepherd. I mean the Apostle Paul. Paul Dale's an amazing pastor too. But Paul's an amazing pastor and shepherd because he's modeling himself on the Lord Jesus. He is the great shepherd. He is our great pastor. So as we're reading through this and you're thinking, my goodness, our pastor really is a bit lame. Um, remember how wonderful our real pastor is, the Lord Jesus. 
just to put this into context so we know where we're up to, last week we were in Ephesus. Remember, Paul was in Ephesus. There was all sorts of powerful stuff going on. Um, read with me verse 21, from chapter 19, verse 21. This is, was back when he was in Ephesus. When these events were over, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Archaea and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, I must see Rome as well. Uh, this is a big turning point in the story. Uh, he heads from Ephesus back to Macedonia and Archaea, and then he's going to go through to Jerusalem, and then he expects to go to Rome. And on his journey, he just stops in for a moment at Ephesus. Uh, he just wants to say goodbye to this very precious church of his. By way of structure, just so you know where we're up to, we're just going to look at each paragraph in, in, in a separate points. Uh, the middle three, you'll notice, all say, and now. So we're going to start with verse 18 uh, and look at Paul's past manner. Look look at verse 18 with me. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. It's a very important point there. You know, you can get things wrong if you give the wrong emphasis. You know, the wrong emphasis. Um, how I was with you. Not how I was with you. He doesn't say, you remember how I was with you? No, no, no. How I was with you. How I conducted myself among you. My manner as I was with you. This is Paul's big thing. The whole speech is about his manner as he was with the Ephesians. So what was it? What was his manner? Well, he was consistent. Verse 18, from the first day, the whole time. The whole time he served with humility. Read verse 19 with me. I was serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, consistently serving with humility, not big noting himself. It's very tempting for a pastor. People kind of sitting here, listening to you, to big note yourself and put Jesus to the side. Not poor. He consistently served with humility and with tears. He was not a professional He kind of had his day job of pastoring and then the rest of his life over here. He was totally involved, personally involved. I think churches and particularly our church are in danger of becoming too professional. Especially, might I say, when we've got a church full of professionals who say, that's not how we do it at work. There are ways that we need to be more professional, probably like in our marketing and things, but not in our pastoring. That would be a disaster. We need the tears. So Paul consistently served with humility and with tears and in the face of trials. Um, Last week in Ephesus, you might have thought that it was a breeze while he was there because of all this power going on. Remember, he had handkerchiefs going out and they were like, the handkerchief was casting out demons. You think, I would have been a breeze to be in Ephesus. You just power, power, bang, 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 all good. Apparently not. So in a letter he writes to the Corinthian church, he writes this about his time in Ephesus. He says, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. But he kept on going, didn't he? Serving with humility and tears and even in the face of trials. Friends, against that, I feel so soft as a pastor. I get angry when people ring me late at night. You know, I want to sleep. Come on, that's not suffering. But Paul gives his everything for these people. The main way he does it, of course, is is through preaching and teaching. 
So look at verse 20 with me. This is still on this topic of how he was amongst them. And that I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Friends, we must remember this is actually the main role of the pastor is to call people to repentance and faith. The big thing. But the focus here is on his manner, isn't it? Of how Paul goes about doing that job. So verse 20, he says, I didn't shrink back from proclaiming anything that was profitable. I'll be honest, friends, that's not always easy. I'm often tempted to shrink back and not say things to people because they might not like me if I say it. You know, they might, It might be a bit hard. But not Paul. He, he will say whatever is profitable for people because he's just giving himself for the sake of others. And he'll do that, not just publicly stand up here in the safety of a lectern and just kind of spray out things. No, 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 house to house he goes. House to house, getting involved in people's lives, personally calling them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Probably with with tears. There was a lot of tears going on back then. So that's what Paul's all about here, friends. It's all about his manner of giving himself to his people. And I find that very interesting. This is the way he kicks off his last address. I mean, imagine, it's it's these people you love, you've been with for three years, you've got one more chance to see them, and you know, that's it. it. I'm not going to see you again. What do you say? You know the doctrines about the gospel? Hold on to that. That's not what he says. You know the Bible? Keep reading it. That's not what he says. You know how I was among you, my manner. Why that? Well, I think it's because his manner, well, at the very least, backs up his message. But more than that, his manner embodies his message. So imagine you've got your personal trainer and uh, they say to you, you know, you've got to eat right. And then you see them down at a porto scoffing a cheeseburger, you know, or a chicken burger, or whatever it is, you think. You've undermined your message by your manner. But more than that, imagine you see your personal trainer, and they don't say anything. They just pull out a stick of celery out of their bag. You don't even have to say anything, buddy. I get it. You embody your message. It's an awful message, but yeah, you, you know, you embody it. Paul doesn't only uh, kind of... Uh, support his message by his manner, he actually embodies it, doesn't he? Because the message is, God has given himself for you in the Lord Jesus. And so Paul gives himself for the people. And that's a great challenge to me. I ought to give myself to serve with humility and tears whatever might come. Not shrinking back from saying whatever is profitable for you, but speaking about Jesus, repentance and faith in him. And that's a challenge. I'd love your prayers for myself, Paul, Andy, and all of our leaders here, our hive leaders and others. And now, Paul moves from his past manner to the future. 
That's our second point, his future, Paul's future. Look with me at verse 22. We're moving on. And now, he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit. It's like I'm chained. I can't not go, not knowing what I will encounter there. It's quite scary. It's unknown, but he does know one thing. Except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. I'm thinking, Paul, buddy, maybe the Spirit's warning you not to go to Jerusalem. Have you taken it that way? Don't go. In fact, that's exactly what all the Christians said that he visited after this. They said, don't go, Paul, because you'll be chained up there. So why does he go? It's exactly what I've already been saying. He's embodying the message, the message about Jesus. Back in, back in Luke 9, Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, uh, sorry, they're up in Galilee, up the north, and he said, uh, in Jerusalem, they're going to they're mock me and beat me and kill me. Let's go to Jerusalem. Giddy up. And chapter 10 to 19, they just walk steadfastly for Jerusalem. Well, as the master, so the pupil, Paul's heading for Jerusalem. It's just like Jesus walking in his footsteps. Can you imagine Jesus saying verse 24? Kind of. Verse 24, but I count my life of no value to myself so that I I may finish my course and the ministry I received from, let's say, God the Father to give my life for the sake of the world. Can you imagine that on Jesus' lips? So Paul, he's got a course to run, he's got a race to run, and he's going to finish it, all right? He's kind of like that, you know, the marathon runner who's got a marathon in two months' time, and whenever you talk to them, all they're thinking is marathon, marathon training, my diet, everything. He's, they're absorbed by it. So Paul, he's got this race to run, and he's absorbed by it. It's all he can think about. You might think he's a bit of a masochist, like a marathon runner. It's crazy people. Except that his job is so good. See at the end of verse 24? that I might testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's a difficult task, but a wonderful task. That's exactly my experience. Difficult, but wonderful. Because the message is about a God who just gives himself to us. Loves, a gift of grace. And so Paul gives himself along with his message. And friends, I believe we are called, I am called and we are called to not only speak about Jesus, but to embody that message, to to not just speak of a God who gives himself for people, but to give ourselves for people. I find that I'm so distracted from this task. Paul was like, you know, the marathon run, I'm just going to give myself to it. I get so distracted from that work, television and uh, the family and, and fitness and finances and Rock climbing, I like rock climbing. Trivial things as well, just trivial things. This week I've really tried to toss some of those things out to just give myself to this task. Two websites, I'm not going to look at them anymore. Just trivial stuff. And now, Paul moves on. He says, that's enough about me. Now about you guys, the guys he's talking to. So verse 25 and 27, he says, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm out of here. If anyone now turns away from Jesus, it's their own fault. I've done as much as I can. Now you guys, he says. 
Verse 28, this is the central part of the speech. Verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Savage wolves. Can you imagine the scene? A bunch of sheep in a paddock. The wolf jumps in the middle. Does he spare the flock? No, he just he attacks at random. So Paul says, the wolves are coming. They're not going to spare the flock. There was guys around at the time who would just go from city to city as speakers, speaking about whatever. A bit of Jesus? Sure, I'll speak about Jesus, whatever. Just as long as I get paid. They don't care about the flock. There was a guy in, in Ephesus called Demetrius, who in chapter 19 uh, made this incredible riot in the city that basically 25,000 people filled the theater to complain about the Christians, basically. I don't think that he's going to go easy on the Christians in Ephesus, that there's wolves there ready to tear the flock apart. As well as that, there's going to be people from inside their, their, their own number who will rise up. Imagine the scene with them. They kind of go amongst the sheep, amongst the church. They've got this handful of nice, juicy green grass few barbs in there as well, some deviant doctrine, half-truths, and they want to kind of lure the sheep after them so that they get a following. You see the manner of these guys, the wolves? This is the important thing. These wolves are not giving themselves like Paul. They're taking. They want from the flock, attacking the flock. They want the flock to follow them. Paul is a giver. That's his manner. I've given myself, he says, because I'm modeling myself on the great giver. And the way Paul speaks about it here is amazing. Look at verse 28 with me. I think this is the only way it's spoken of this way in the Bible, I think. I could be wrong. Be on, your guard, uh, sorry, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that this Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, God, purchased with his own blood. I find that an incredible statement. God, God most high, who dwells in unapproachable light, God the Holy One, bleeds for us. Do you reckon you could put a, a, a dollar value on God's blood? Like, could you, how valuable is it? What, what would you compare it to? It's incalculable, right? It's completely incalculable. And yet, he gave that for you. That, that was the purchase price for you. You look around at the people next to you. Their value is incalculable because the cost paid for them is incalculable. So valuable, so precious. And so Paul's warning comes with even more heat. Be on your guard, leaders. Be alert. Keep your eyes open because the people you're guarding are so precious. Imagine you're guarding the crown jewels. Right, this is your job. You're guarding the crown jewels. Very precious. If someone comes near who even looks a little bit wrong, a little bit funny, you're not going to let them near, are you? Get away. Get away. You'll beat them off. You know, Pull out the pepper spray or whatever it is. Or imagine you're guarding 
the graph pink. We've got a picture, the graph pink. Anyone heard of this? Is, is a few nods. The most expensive item of jewelry ever sold, um, 46 million US dollars. And it's, I wouldn't wear it. Imagine you're guarding the graph pink. It's so precious. If someone so much as smells funny, you're not going to let them near, right? You're going to release the hounds, pull out the taser. You're not going to let them near. And so Paul says to these leaders, be on your guard. The people you are guarding are so precious. They make the graph pink look like a paperclip. You know, be on your guard. And so verse 31, he says, Therefore, be on the alert, remembering, remembering my manner, remembering that night and day for three years, I didn't stop warning each one of you with tears. Remember how I passionately gave my all to guard these people, to warn them against fleeing, against, against wandering away. Remember what I did and do the same. For the church is so precious. Friends, I need to do the same. I need to remember how precious you are. That God has given his blood to purchase you. It would be great if we remembered that about each other as well. That's a call for me to, to, to warn you and, and try to help you as much as I can to stick with the truth, to stick with the Lord. And may I say, I'm sorry when I don't treat you like that. Just going back a step for a moment. Imagining again that we're guarding the graph pink. This is a stressful job, isn't it? It's quite a burden. I always thought if I was a security guard, I'd really want there to be a crummy security system. So that if it got stolen, I could say, well, your system's terrible. It's not my fault. Because you know the opposite? If it's an excellent system, you know, you're the only one to blame. That's right. You're responsible. It's your fault. It's quite a burden to, to guard something so precious, isn't it? And, and you might feel like, wow, Paul's putting a big burden on these elders of Ephesus. Dan, you, you're kind of carrying quite a big burden here. And I think if it wasn't for verse 32, pastors everywhere would be blowing fuses. That, let's look at verse 32. This, this is our last point. And now I commit you to God and to the message of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. That's great. I love to hear that. Because <laughs> ultimately, it's not, it's not about me. It's about God, our gracious God and his message of grace. Uh, that's such a wonderful relief. I'll do what I can, but it's up to him. Because ultimately, it's that message that can build you up and make you strong against the wolves. It's that message that can give you an inheritance an inheritance more precious than even this graph pink thing that is waiting for each one of us. Friends, I want to encourage you to hold on to that message, that message of grace, that God is a giver. And Paul actually ends on exactly that point. In this very strange, well, maybe it's not a climax, this very strange way of wrapping it up. Would you look with me at verse 33? He concludes by saying, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. I kind of think, who cares? Except that, Paul's saying, I'm embodying the gospel. I've been a giver and a giver. I've not taken, I've given. 
Verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who were with me. I gave and gave. In every way, I've shown you that by laboring like this, this giving and giving, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Did Jesus just say that? Not at all. He gave himself to the end. Friends, I've just got three points to finish with. The first thing is this. Would you pray for us, pastors and leaders of our church? We need a lot of help. Pray that we'd embody this message and give ourselves for your sake, for the sake of the gospel. Pray that we'd remember how precious you are. Pray that we'd remember that there's a God who has given himself for us, for you, and he's always giver. It's never just our strength because God gives. Please pray. Second thing is this. Please embody the message yourselves. There's a lot of people out there, friends, who are never going to read the Bible, but they will read your life. It's no good just to speak about Jesus. We need to embody that message and actually be Givers more than takers. Are you more a giver than a taker? We need to lay ourselves down for the good of others. And not just because this is you know, a mission thing, we need to reach people, but because this is the gospel, right? In a sense, that, that verse 35 last line there is, in a way, the gospel. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you do that? Is that the shape of your life? You're more a giver. Than a taker? The last thing is this. Remember how wonderful our pastor Jesus is. He's so wonderful. This is the great thing about our God. He doesn't need anything. And so he doesn't take. He just gives. He will never be in your debt. He will never give you an IOU. But I wonder, do you ever doubt that? Do you ever have these subconscious thoughts that God actually, he is quite a taker. He really just, he wants to take things from me. He wants to take my freedom. He wants to take my happiness. That whole repentance thing is a real drag, but he wants to take my fun. Do you have any subconscious thoughts of that? He doesn't really care for me. I can't really approach him and bring him my anxieties and my concerns because He kind of wants to take. He doesn't want to just be there for me and give for me. Friends, Paul, who wrote this, who spoke this, was a great pastor, a great shepherd. But he was only ever modeling himself on the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself entirely for you. Blood, sweat, and tears. He is for you. He is our pastor our great leader. May we be a little like him. My saviour, the good shepherd, is he'll never leave the flock. The one who truly loves the sheep became the lamb of God. Despised, afflicted in my stead, he spent his soul for me. And to the slaughter he was led, that I not thirsty be. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to sing a song which you might think contradicts everything I've just said. (laughs) 
take my life. God is not a taker, but when we offer ourselves gladly in his service, yes, he receives us. Let me pray. Father, we just want to praise and thank you for your nature, your character, that you don't need us, but that you give to us. You've given us your whole self, your son, Jesus. Father, please help us not to doubt that, Lord. I pray for people here this evening who really do feel like you're following you as a great burden and you really are a taker. Please convince them of the truth. You've given everything. You've given us the greatest treasure. Father, I pray, please, that you would help us to be people who embody the gospel and give ourselves for the sake of others. Make us more givers than takers. And I pray, please, for our leaders here, for myself, for our hive leaders, for our kids' church leaders, and all all sorts of other leaders, Father. May we be people who don't just speak of Jesus and his gift of himself to us, but we would be a gift to others. In his name we pray. Amen.